the ICC Imara podcast. Here at ICC Imara, we're all about connecting people to God and to each other, challenging believers to Christ-likeness, and changing the world. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this message. us today for our online service and I know that it's not too late to wish to wish you a happy new year it's my prayer that the year has started well for you and even if it hasn't one of the things we do know is that we have a God who is on the throne and he has promised that he will make all things new and that the plans that he has for you are to do you good and not evil so this past Sunday our senior pastor challenged us to be salt and light of the world. To be those that bear hope to a world that is hopeless. And we will continue to build up on this same theme as we begin our sermon series titled Reset. So today we are going to be looking at how do we reset ourselves in our commitment in the pursuit of holiness, which will make us to be more effective in being bearers of hope in the world in which we live in. And it's my prayer that even as we begin this new year, you will make a deliberate pursuit of holiness, that you will reset your priorities and you will come to that place where you, are, you will make the pursuit of holiness on top of your list. Because as it says in Matthew 5, 8, it is the pure who will see God, the pure in heart who will see God. Now, when we talk of Christians being called to pursue a life of holiness, I'm just wondering what kind of image does this conjure up in your mind? Perhaps for some of you, you consider holiness of life as wearing a long robe and living in a monastery isolated from the rest of the world. Is holiness perhaps never smiling, looking like you've eaten sour grapes, constantly talking in a pious manner and dishing out religious quotes. Is that what holiness is all about? Now, usually our concept of holiness has been perverted because of the extremes that people who call themselves Christians, like you and me, we have gone to such great extents to prove that we are separate from this world. But the sad state of affair is that we have perverted the meaning of holiness. Simply put, holiness means to be separate. To be holy means to be separate. When it is applied to God, it points to his transcendence, that he's above and beyond his creation in such a way as to be distinct from it, that God cannot be compared, he cannot be put in the same class with that which he has created. He's apart from it. Holiness also has that notion of God's purity, that he's totally separate from sin. But since 
sin dwells in the very core of who we are. We who are fallen creatures. In fact, the scriptures tell us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. How then can we ever hope to be holy? Is it a, a pursuit in futility? Is it possible that a Christian walking on this earth, in this flesh, can pursue holiness? Now, what we need to understand is that the moment we put our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, we are positionally sanctified and set apart unto God. Positionally, the Bible says we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Then we must be progressively be sanctified. That is growing in holiness. This is something that is a process that continues. For as long as we are here on earth in this flesh, we will continue with that process of being made holy. God is doing a work in us. And that is why we are told in the Bible to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process. We are told to sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. So it's a process that we have to keep on growing and moving towards God in holiness. But the beauty of it all is that when we meet the Lord and see him face to face, then we shall be glorified. We shall be made to look like him. So positionally we are seated with him. But in reality, in the body we are here on earth, being progressively sanctified. But then when we shall see him, then we shall be made to look completely like him. Now, as we talk about the pursuit of holiness, let me first off just say this, that when we pursue holiness, we are not earning our salvation because the work of salvation has already been done when Christ Jesus died on the cross for you and I. We are not trying to make our way towards God, but rather that way has already been made open when Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So this pursuit of holiness is all about us responding to what Christ has already done for us at the cross. The pursuit of holiness is what marks a genuine follower of Christ. It is when you allow the fruits of the Spirit to start manifesting in your life that people can tell that this is a transformed life and that this life is progressively being changed day by day. Now, how then can we live a life that is characterized by the pursuit of holiness? How can we practically do this in our everyday life? And for this, we will turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 13 to 16. So 1 Peter... 1 verse 13 to 16. Therefore, guard up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That is 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Now, when you look at verse 13, it begins with the word, therefore. 
So we need to backtrack a bit and ask ourselves, where is the link? Why is the there, therefore? So we need to go back a bit and ask ourselves, what is Peter saying? Now, Peter is writing to a group of scattered believers in Asia, and he calls them aliens or exiles because their lives were so distinct from the people around them. Now, this distinctiveness of these believers led to their persecution. So Peter is writing to them this letter and giving them a message of hope. Now, if you go back and read the first chapter of 1 Peter from verse 1 to 12, this is a wonderful section that Peter begins to paint the doctrine of salvation. And this is something that is worth us reading and rereading until it gets into our spirit what the doctrine of salvation is all about. Peter said that God has chosen the Christians to salvation. He has set the Christian apart to believe in Christ, whose blood is sprinkled on the believer for the forgiveness of their sins. And you'll see this in verse 1 to 2 of the same chapter. Then Peter speaks about the Christian's spiritual birth, which brought him into an in eternal inheritance, which is reserved for him. The Christian is protected by God on earth, and God permits them to go through some trials so that their faith is proved to be genuine. Now, this promised eternal inheritance is summed up in one word, salvation, which the Christians will have completely and totally in the second coming of Christ. Like I said at the beginning, it's when we see him that we shall be transformed and we shall be like him. So this is that eternal promised inheritance, the beauty of knowing that we shall be transformed, we shall be changed, and we shall be who we were created to be. This salvation is so valuable that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about it. They searched of it, and it was revealed to them that they were serving us who now believe. Now, this salvation is also made clear to us through Holy Spirit-empowered preaching. And when we look at the writings of the apostles, then we get to appreciate what Christ did for us at the cross. And the most amazing thing about this salvation, it says that even the angels themselves, they desire to learn about this salvation. They are watching over, like, like you could say, over the balcony of heaven, and they are looking down, and they are seeing this this story unfold, this story of salvation unfold. Now, having laid that doctrinal foundation, the therefore in verse 13 transitions us into practical application. It basically answers the question, so what? After you've talked about this salvation, then what? What does it mean to us as Christians who are scattered all over the place, who are going through trials, who are facing all kinds of things, what does it mean for us? Now, this practical sec section transitions from verse 13 to verse 25. Now, let me pause here and just say this. It is important to note that similarly, the Apostle Paul, whenever he wrote his letters, he always started by basing his arguments by presenting the theology of salvation. It is after he presents this that then he gives the application. You will see this in the book of Ephesians 
where he gives the doctrine and then he begins now to apply it to, 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 to family life, to professional life, to, to everything else. Same in Colossians, same in Philippians. Now, in this particular instance, Peter does the same thing. So if we are going to have right living, then we must have right doctrine. I will say that again. If we are going to have right living, if you are going to live a life that is pleasing to God, it must begin by you appreciating the right doctrine. So let, let us get into the practical applications and see how we can pursue holiness and reset our priorities so that we can be those that pursue this holiness that has been made available to us through the death of Christ on the cross. So to pursue holiness, and this is my first point, we must be focused on Christ's second coming. We must be focused on Christ's second coming. Verse 13, Therefore guard up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The command that we are given in this scripture is rest your hope. Rest your hope. The J.B. Phillips translation says, rest the full weight of your hope. This is a hope of confident assurance. It's not a wishy-washy kind of hope. It is not a hope that says maybe Christ is coming. Perhaps, no. It is a confident assurance that Christ will return. Now, how do we develop this firm hope? And then how does this help us in our pursuit of holiness? Sub-point number one is that it begins in the mind. The scripture says, guard up the loins of your mind. This is a figure of speech that was stemming from the fact that the men in that day, they wore long robes which got in the way when they needed to run, to work, or to fight in a battle. So they would tuck in their robes into a belt so that they wouldn't be hindered in their movement. This brings back a picture of the Israelites when they were getting ready to leave Egypt. They were to have their loins guarded, sandals on their feet, and staff in hand. Exodus 12:11. Today we might use the expression, roll up your sleeves, or fasten your seatbelts. This is an indication that you mean business, that you are mentally prepared for combat or action in the pursuit of holiness. It's not a half-hearted attempt. It's where you want to give your all. And the pursuit of holiness begins in your thought life. And that is why Peter is saying, guard up the loins of your mind. It is in the mind where the battle begins. What you think determines how you live. As a man thinketh, so is he. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And a great illustration for us here is Daniel. Daniel, it is said of him in verse 1 of 8 in the book of Daniel, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. It was an act of the will, an act of the mind, where he purposed, he guarded up the loins of his mind, and he purposed that he would not defile himself. 
So this pursuit of holiness begins with us guarding up our minds. It begins in the mind. Secondly, it calls for spiritual alertness. Peter says, be sober. Literally, this means just what it means in English. Don't be drunk. When one is drunk, they have distorted vision. They are reckless in their behavior. They are not alert to the danger around them. Peter would use this same word to be sober in chapter 8 and verse 5. And he says, be sober, be on the alert. Your adversity, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the point here is that we live in an enemy territory. And we need the spirit-filled thinking that would help us to discern right and wrong. The Apostle Paul himself gives us the same command in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that is what we are called to do, to be sober, to be alert spiritually, because your enemy is after you. Now, this pursuit of holiness, which comes from a firm hope of the returning Christ, is also motivated by the grace of God. It's motivated by the grace of God. Because the scripture says, grace that is being brought to you. As mentioned earlier, this final grace, this total salvation is on the way. Right now, we have been justified. We are being sanctified. But a time is coming when we shall be transformed. And God is not passive about it. He's actively bringing it to pass. He's bringing our salvation to pass. Let me allow an illustration by Dr. Jan, Jack Arnold to help explain this. Looking at our salvation is like looking at a dinner menu. It includes justification as the appetizer, sanctification is the main course, and glorification is the dessert. Right now we are enjoying the first two courses, justification and sanctification. Glorification is the last item on the menu which will come afterwards. While we are enjoying this delicious meal, which I will call salvation, we are not worrying whether there will be dessert. We know that dessert is on the menu and, we will be, and it will be brought to us as soon as it, we are ready for it. We do not need to worry because we know that our final salvation is on the way. It is the best and most exciting aspect of our salvation. And I just echo the words of Paul in Philippians 1.16 where he says that we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the first aspect of pursuing holiness is focusing on Christ's second coming, which is facilitated by guarding the loins of our minds, facilitated by soberness and confidence in God's saving grace. Point number two, to pursue holiness, we must be obedient to the Father in all areas of our lives. To pursue holiness, we must be obedient to the Father in all areas of our lives. We will read verse 14 to 15 again. Live as obedient children before God. Don't let your character be molded by the desires of your ignorant days, 
but be holy in every department of your lives. I love that translation from J.B. Phillips, that we are supposed to be holy in every department of our lives. Now, looking at these two verses, verse 14 and 15, there are three things which are involved in our obedience towards God. This obedience, first of all, is meant to be habitual. That's why he says, as obedient children, meaning it is something that is ongoing, something that characterizes who we are, something that is done on a day-to-day -day basis. And as God's children, in every situation we face, we need to get to the habit of asking, what does the word of God say about this? And once we get to know, we obey it. In our conversion, we move from being children of disobedience, who are objects of wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2, 2 to 3, to children of obedience. And we receive through God's divine power everything that we need for life and godliness. And we continue to know him and appropriate his very great and precious promises, which enables us to participate in that divine nature. That divine nature that causes us to escape the corruption of the world that is caused by evil desires. Second Peter 1, 3 to 4, paraphrased. So this obedience is habitual and it doesn't come with our own strength because the scriptures say that he has already given us that divine power and if we plug in into him, then we are able to live a life of habitual obedience. This obedience is one that breaks from past sinful desires. It's an obedience that breaks from past sinful desires. It says, don't let your character be molded by the desires of your ignorant days. Before you came to know Christ, you are in darkness, you are in ignorance. Now you've come to know him. So you need to set aside those sinful desires that you had before and you've come now and you're a new person. Romans 12, 2 tells us the same thing. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Here again we see the battle that must be fought in the mind. If you want to be a true Christian, then you have to pay attention to what happens to that part in between your ears. True conversion and pursuit of holiness is characterized by breaking away of old sinful desires that marked us before we met Christ. In our day, sad to say, we have shallow Christianity because we allow Jesus into our hearts, but we retain some selfish desires. Like the story of Saul, when he was told to make sure he gets rid of everything in that battle, and then when he came back, he still had a few sheep bleating in the background. That is what some of us do. And as John Piper puts it, we maintain the same desires, but we just get a new butler. Basically what he's saying, is that Jesus becomes our servant to meet our selfish desires. That is not true repentance. That's not true saving faith. We must break away from selfish desires and live the new life that Christ has called us to. The other thing that characterizes this obedience, this full obedience, is that it doesn't compartmentalize 
the sacred and the secular. There are no compartments in a Christian, Christian's life of what is sacred and what is secular. It says, be holy in every department of your lives, every single department of your life. Here we find that the command to be holy is viewed as something progressive. It's not instantaneous. We need to appreciate that salvation is not a fairy story like Cinderella and the rest, where a fairy godmother waves their magic wand and suddenly we are transformed and there's no more sin. But rather, the Christian life is more of a war story. It is where the true believer struggles to overcome sin in every day of their lives, every single day of their lives. They are constantly battling. And through this process, we will win the war, but we may lose some battles along the way. But the beauty is that with every effort, we are becoming who we already are in Christ Jesus. It's no wonder that Paul calls this the good fight of faith, because victory is assured. Notice also that holiness, like I said earlier, is to be in every department of our lives. Other versions will say, in all your behavior. Meaning that there is no such thing as a division of the sacred and the secular. Holiness is to reach in every facet of our existence. Whether it is in the business world, in our home life, whether we are having our recreational time, whether you are a student in school, in church life, whatever it is, name it. Holiness should permeate everywhere we go and in everything that we do and in everything we are engaged in. We should be seeking to be Christ-like in every endeavor. Now, this may sound like a tall order. It may sound like it's unattainable. But let's take comfort that the hand that points us to holiness is the same hand that extends its grace to make us holy in every area of our lives. Because the beauty of it is this, what God commands, he empowers. Philippians 2.13, for God is the one working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So that's why we call it a good fight of faith. We are empowered to do what we are commanded. So thus, to be holy people, we must be focused on Christ's second coming, and then we must exercise obedience, habitual obedience, in every area of our lives. This brings me then to my third and last point, that to pursue holiness, we must appreciate the holiness of God. Verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's holiness is the pattern and the grounds for our pursuit of holiness. And if we doubt and we ask ourselves, how can I be holy like God and have not seen him? The word of God says, when Jesus came, he said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So when you look at the pattern of Christ's life, it gives you a pattern of holiness. And let me mention that we need to move away from being casual and flippant and ignorant about God's holiness. God is not the big man upstairs. God's holiness is awe-inspiring. R.C. Sproul, who has written a lot about on the holiness of God, points out that no other attribute of God is elevated to the third degree. The Bible never says of God that he's eternal, eternal, eternal. 
or that God is love, 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 or that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. But one thing that the Bible says is that God is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when the prophet Isaiah saw this vision of God, of him on the throne, and the angels crying, holy, 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 Arsis Prowl comments and says, in the flash of a moment, Isaiah had a new and radical understanding of sin. He saw that it was pervasive in himself and in everyone else. So to whatever extent we gain insight on the holiness of God, we gain equal insight on the magnitude of our sin. When Isaiah saw that, he says, I, was, I am an unclean man, a man of unclean lips. His sin became so visible that he could not stand. He just fell face flat on the ground. At the same time, when we revel in the amazing grace of God, who saved sinners just like you and me through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we consider his holiness, when we consider how pure he is, and yet in his transcendence he came down to our level and saved us, then it makes us desire to pursue after holiness in every department of our lives. And so the pursuit of holiness, as we reset our priorities, as we start to rethink our lives in 2021, it's my prayer that you will be focused on the coming of Christ. It will happen at any time in the twinkling of an eye. It will happen. The trumpet will sound and Christ will return. Let your focus be there. And as you focus on that, it will cause you to want to pursue holiness because you want to be found at a place where you are right with him. Let your pursuit of holiness be characterized by the obedience in all of life. And I pray that you will begin to appreciate and even to study about the holiness of God. And that will then motivate you to realize that this is what God is calling you to. This is your divine nature. This is who you are created to be. That you don't need to stoop low in indulging in things that are not fit for a child of God. So in conclusion, as believers, remember Peter was writing to aliens. He called them aliens. He called them exiles. You and I who have believed, you and I who are Christians, we are pilgrims on this earth. We are in the world, but we are not of this world. So this letter that Peter wrote is also directed to us. We live in a world where our behavior will be considered strange. And sometimes, like it did to these believers, it will lead to persecution. But I pray that that will refine your faith and bring you to that place where your faith will be proved genuine. And as you do this, may you pursue holiness so that you can shine the light and give hope to a hopeless world. I love what D.L. Moody said, that a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. And to you who is an unbeliever, I have talked about Christ's second coming. For you, it will not be a celebration of what he has done for you because you have rejected him. 
So I pray you can change that narrative right now. And you can realize that this transcendent God, this God who is so holy, actually came down to your level. He took the form of man and he took ugly sin upon himself so that you might become the righteousness of God. So I pray that at this time you will consider asking Jesus Christ to come into your life so that you can participate in this great salvation that Peter wrote about, that the Old Testament prophets uh, prophesied about. This great salvation that the angels in heaven are looking down and they are amazed at the working of God. I pray that you will participate and be part of this and that you'll be able to be part of that great eternal inheritance that Christ will bring to those who believe. So we'll take time now to pray. First of all, I'll pray for us who have believed that we shall reset, we shall truly pursue after holiness. And for you who hasn't believed, I pray that where you are, you will also pray alongside us so that you may just receive Christ as Lord and Savior and you may participate in this. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so grateful. We are so thankful when we consider what you did for us. A great God who is transcendent, who is above all. The God who called all things into being. The God who is holy, holy, holy. That, Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. You took your, upon yourself the form of humanity so that, Lord, we may be partakers of this great salvation. How I pray that we who have believed that, Lord, you will help us as we look forward to your second coming, that, Father, we shall guard up the loins of our minds, that, Father, we shall be sober, that, Lord, you will help us to appropriate the grace that you have given us so that we may set our hope fully on your second coming. And this will motivate us then to live a life of holiness. How I pray, Jehovah God Almighty, that you will help us, we who have believed and trusted in you, that you will give us the grace to be able to be obedient to you in every department of our lives. That, Father, we shall not be one thing in church and another thing out there, but that, Father, we shall be consistent wherever we go, in whatever we do. That, Father, we shall truly be the children of obedience. And I pray, God, you will help us to appreciate your holiness. That, Father, we shall not be flippant and casual with you. Yes, you are our friend. Yes, you are the one who stooped low to be with us. But let's also be reminded that you are an awesome God, mighty in power. And like Isaiah, I pray that whenever we think of you, whenever we come into your presence, that we shall come with that awe of knowing that you are a holy, holy God. And right now, Lord, I pray for them who haven't believed, those who haven't trusted in you as Lord and Savior, wherever they are right now, I pray that your spirit will convict them. And if you're one of them, make this prayer with me, and I just ask that you also just send your name in, and we will be able to walk with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, because a great God took upon himself my sin and that you died on the cross for me. And right now I choose to believe. I renounce my former way of life and I choose to repent and to walk in the newness of life. I pray that now you will write my name in the book of life and you will help me to walk with you all the days of my life.
Thank you for that grace that you have made available that now I can walk in the newness of life. Thank you for receiving me. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. If this ministry has impacted your life, you can help us reach others by partnering with us. You can give through our website iccimara.org/give. Be sure to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Have a great week.